1: Using
2: the phone.
1: Earlier, when was that? Er, later, when then I uh, le- left a message. A message? What number did you call? Two, four, niner, five, six, seven,
2: eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie?
1: No, it was cordless.
3: Mm-hmm. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's... The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and are you helping your community or making money? Today, to let you in on how you can do both, we welcome the founder of nearly a dozen Ace Hardware stores in the Washington, D.C. area, Gina Schaefer. And, oh boy, it's Evaluate Your Life Day. You know, I usually save evaluating my life for 3 a.m. after a few seasons of Gilmore Girls, my third run to the convenience store for a box of Chardonnay and an ugly cry. By now in life, I thought I'd be announcing at Leno or, you know, at least somewhere on NBC. Heck, I'd even take CBS. I'd have some witty banner with the host. It'd be great. Ah, well, in our headlines, it's Fire Prevention Month. Want the best insurance? Practice safety. Steve Kerber from the Fire Safety Research Institute joins us. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Jason, who's trying to figure out how to pay for college while in retirement. I think you did that backwards, dude. And then I'll share some trivia. And now, two guys who should be on late night, if only to make me
0: feel better, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Hey there, stackers, and a happy Wednesday to you. Happy Wednesday to you, Doug said the host to the witty announcer guy. Maybe not on CBS, but we are on Westwood One. Does it doesn't that count? It might I mean, be that's bigger. That's a good That might be Probably better. bigger. Probably. Yeah. Yes. We got a great show today, by the way. Oh gee. I love these shows. You know, we had Ed Slot and Barbara Corcoran on. That's a little flex right there. But I also love it when we tell stories people have never heard before and Gina Schaefer, who, as Doug so eloquently said this morning, owns a bunch of hardware stores in the D.C. area, has a story I think everybody's going to want to hear about entrepreneurship, community, and fusing the two together. How are you this morning, my friend? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. How are you today, Joe? (laughs) I'm I'm Very good, thank you. Actually, you know what's funny? I say I'm very good because that's what you say. Uh, However, I've known you guys long enough to tell you the truth. I went to poker night last night and uh, lost my butt, as it were. We p- we play for not very much money, but of the not very much money I took. That's your problem. I lost it all. You
1: need higher stakes, bro.
0: Oh, that's what I need. It's exactly what I that need. That way you concentrate. You play for more money. Yeah. Yeah. If it was yeah. a
1: higher stakes game, you know, you, you take it more seriously.
0: Hey, Cheryl, I got to refinance the car. It just, uh, yeah, I had to.
3: It's the right time to do it. The rates are great it's, right now, Cheryl. It's the right
1: time.
0: <laughs> what could go wrong? This whole episode's already going wrong. Speaking of that, I went in to ask the guy, by the way, Doug about about refinancing the car. You know what he said? I bet he's going to we're going to hear it right now, right? Yeah, he like pivots all of a sudden and says this. This episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. I thought that was weird. There's like sales. And then there's that. I don't know. I don't get it. Gina Schaefer here. Steve Kerber in what, uh, A lot of stackers that have been around for a while call one of their favorite segments every year. This is Fire Prevention Month. Steve Kerber is here. All right, time to get this episode started. Let's go. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show,
2: our Stacking Benjamins Headlines.
0: Guys, as I said so eloquently, it is Fire Safety Month, and Steve Kerber joined us over on Fireside so people could ask questions. We're going to do that from time to time now that Fireside is open. But I started off by asking him a few. And the first one I asked was about this idea of sleeping with your door closed or open. Fire Research Safety Institute's come out with a bunch of videos, and in one of them, they have a whole focus group, OG, where it's a bunch of people sitting around, and they ask him, should you sleep with your door? How many people think it's better to sleep with your door open? Every single hand goes up. And it turns out it's better to sleep with your door closed. And it's because of the fact that that door buys you some valuable time. And, well, I asked Steve exactly how much time, and this is what he had to say.
4: I mean, it depends on the type of door. It depends on how close the fire is to where the door is. But, I mean, it could be minutes, tens of minutes in an of a fire. And the comparison is, if that's wide open and you're connected to where the fire is, all that smoke and heat is coming right at you. So, obviously, putting something between you and that fire is going to buy you
0: time. Close before you doze is the line that they use, OG. we got to come up with some witty lines like that for other pieces of finance. You know, asset allocate before you meditate Mess. or before you medicate. I don't know. Maybe not.
1: There's another word that ends in eight that totally <laughs> fits.
0: Before, asset allocate before you procreate. <laughs> <laughs> one's good. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. Hey, I was thinking about- Hold on a
1: second. I need to check out my small caps. Is that emerging market value?
0: (laughs) I was thinking about rebalancing, but you know.
1: Back to the fire prevention.
0: Okay, we took that in a random, awkward direction in a hurry. Let's get back to fire safety, kids. Prevention. (laughs) Yes.
1: We don't want to even do it safely. We want it to be prevented. Just prevented so you don't even have to be safe. Just no
0: fires whatsoever. Not a safe fire. Absolutely, But still, still- Job one, sleep with that door closed. Number two, and the bad news here, OG, is that even though we have Steve Kerber on every year, and even though we have better fire prevention tools out there, statistics show more people, more fire fatalities than ever before. I asked Steve about that and why, why that is. If we have so many better tools today than we did even five years ago when Steve started joining us every October... Why are things getting worse? And this is what he had to say.
4: So listen to this, ready? You would think that in America, if we had a 30% increase in fire deaths over the last 10 years, that someone would talk about it. But the reality is, I mean, 30% increase in the last 10 years. I mean, so we, we did great from like 1980 to like 2010. The number of fatalities was coming down. The number of fires was coming down. Uh, there's a lot more smoke alarms being installed, and I think that that limited the amount of times the fire department was needed and stuff like that. Uh, the last 10 years has been nothing but a steady incline in the wrong direction.
3: Not good news there. Uh, I wonder if there's any chances because we're all spending a lot more time at home.
1: Well, that's just as of late, though. That doesn't well, explain I, No, I don't know.
3: I mean, of course, it spiked massively uh, once COVID hit. But even before that, technology allowed uh, people to spend a lot more time. I was working from home back in 2013, uh, probably a day or two a week, you know, from time to time.
0: I mean, well, I totally agree with that, Doug, that I'm sure there's a statistic out there, like Steve said, there's statistics and more statistics that shows that more of us are working at home. However, with all the advances and with the fact that because we're working at home, wouldn't we want that to be a safe place? Like, wouldn't we think about that being a safe place? Steve actually, Steve actually talked about the fact that we think we'll be able to come up with it in the moment. And the sad news is, Oh gee, you've had a fire at your house when you were growing up. I don't know what you're thinking about in the moment. And I know this is a long time ago, but I don't think you're, you're thinking really clearly when it's the middle of the night and you're just trying to get out of the house.
1: Well, ours was during the mid morning and, um, Thankfully, you know, nobody was hurting ours, but, um, but I can tell you, I'm certain that my mom wasn't thinking about anything clearly because she was upstairs still sleeping, you know, sucking down all those, uh, drywall fumes or whatever the heck was burning in her lungs as the upstairs was on fire. But, um, yeah, that the disorientation, I think is what he's talking about both physically and mentally. I mean, if you want to practice this, the disorientation, you know, go in your bedroom, put a blindfold on and now try to escape your house. In ten seconds, right? It it you'll see that it's not it's not as easy as you think. You think, hey, I've been through this house a million times, but that's the experience of trying to get through a you know smoke filled house.
0: Doug's played that game before, by the way. I was a blindfold. Say. It's like pin the tail on the donkey,
1: but but it's a weird <laughs> reverse morning times? star situation.
0: <laughs> Put a blindfold on, try to escape. He still has nightmares about that day.
1: (laughs) Doug's like, not
0: again. (laughs) Why does this always happen to me? Well, that may or may not be a drill that you want to play. One, One thing, OG, we talk about every year at this time of year is having that fire safety, not chat with your kids, but do the fire safety drill at home. Kids do it at school all the time. And Doug, to your point, we're at home all the time now. So if we're at home a lot, we need to have that fire safety drill at home. I asked Steve about that, and this is what he had to say:
4: one of the most important things you can do. And I think we, yeah, I mean, we kind of hit kids in elementary school, and we're like, "Hey, uh, get low and go, and and stop, drop, and roll," and all these other messages. But the reality is, how do we make that real, and how do we make that actionable for adults? What we've kind of started to do lately is we we kind of call it: you need a plan A, B, and C. So your plan A is Let's say you're sleeping in your bedroom, smoke alarm goes off, you've got that bedroom door closed, you go to that door, you open that door, hopefully nothing really big is going on. You got a little bit of light smoke at the ceiling, maybe a room several rooms away, had something happen, a small fire, whatever the case is. You make your way to your main exit. People typically want to leave by their front door. It's the door you're most familiar with. So you tell everybody in your family, go out through the front door. We're going to meet at the mailbox, uh, get a head count, and call the fire department and ask for help. That's plan A. Plan B is you open that bedroom door and you're met with smoke. What we're telling people is if you can't see your exit, if you can't look to the door that you're going to go out and know that you can make it to it, Skip plan a, like if you can't get to that door, now plan B comes into play, get to the window and hopefully you can get out that window. Maybe you can get out on, if it's one floor, you can get out onto the ground. If it's the second floor, you can get out onto like a roof. Um, but if you
0: can't, this is by the way, Steve, I I never realized what a problem, uh, smoke inhalation is and how many of these people, the reason they passed away is because of not the fire itself, but the smoke inhalation before it.
4: Smoke is the number one killer. I mean, with all the things that we're burning today, I mean, if you've ever had anything that's plastic or foam light on fire, it's nothing but thick black smoke. <clears throat> it's not like what we're used to at a campfire, uh, where you've got the white wispy smoke, and it's like, oh, it's bu- it's burning my eyes a little bit. I'm going to move out of the way. House fire smoke is not that way. So if you get met with that smoke, you got to close the door. You got to get to the window. Plan B, and ultimately your pl- plan C is I can't get out the window. I got to isolate myself. So now you get that door shut, say there's some smoke coming around the door, you can stuff some towels around the door or whatever, get to the window, call 911, let that fire department know exactly where you are. And this is really important for like apartment buildings and things like that. I mean, you're not going to jump out a third, fourth, fifth floor window, but you can get those doors shut far away from the fire as possible. Call 911, get help coming your way.
0: Important to do. I know, OG, that, you and your family now, since we started having Steve on, have begun doing this.
1: Yeah, uh, actually, thank you for the reminder, because just like he talks about, like it's just not top of mind until it is, and... um So we're going to have a rude awakening tomorrow morning at 2.14 a.m. in the uh, OG household.
0: (laughs) Fire
3: drill! Fire drill! OG's like Dwight in the office where he's going to make it as real as possible. (laughs) He's going to heat up all the doorknobs. There's
1: smoke. There's smoke. We're not going that way. (laughs) Dad, what are you
4: doing?
3: Uh, You know, I will say this. We talked about this a lot in my house when the kids were young. Where are we going to meet out front? you know what's the plan but honestly we didn't do it at all when when the kids got probably past about in their early teens maybe 12 13 and there's really never a time to stop having that conversation it, i'm interested or glad to hear you're going to do it cuz your kids are past that point right og and or a few well, of them are <laughs> i got one
1: yeah one who's little so
3: and so you should continue doing that of heck we could do it now and it's just mrs neighbor
1: and i
0: well, and I love this idea of what's your A, what's your B, what's your C, right? When he talks about, uh, especially for people on the second floor, people with a bedroom that's at the end of a hallway, like what do we do first? We go down the hallway, fire that way, then we, then we head back for the window. That's practicing two, three things so you don't have to think about it, I think is, is a great thing. We also talked a little bit about technology. Uh, man, the, the, the idea that smoke alarms now come with Smoke alarms at the store come with a hardwire battery, and when that battery dies, you then take it and get a new one, which uh, makes sure that your smoke alarms are always up to date and ready. The fact that smoke alarms have a an expiration date is something that I think every year wow. Steve comes on, it's new for people, new for Doug. That this is new year.
3: information for me. Absolutely, I didn't know. It's I mean, it's planned obsolescence. In our best interest, I mean, that's it is in your
0: according to Steve, planned obsolescence in your best interest, and of course the upgrades. You know, while Doug is burning toast, and now the uh, smoke alarm can discern between you know just a toast incident and a serious fire at your stove is uh, also new. A lot of new technology. We covered all that. You can see it on our YouTube page go to youtube put in stacking benjamins and subscribe there for all not just this video but for all of our videos and of course brooke miller has the deep dives into this topic uh, if you want even more resources in the 201 as usual stacking benjamins.com slash 201 gets you a subscription to our free twice weekly newsletter coming up next gina schaefer is somebody that for a lot that like a lot of people, OG, went through layoff after layoff after layoff and decided, you know what? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Time for me to be the captain of my ship. Time for me to be the person who's going to take charge. And she decided, because she'd worked in software, and I thought this was funny when I read about Gina, she's going to start a hardware store. She was the most unlikely person to open a hardware store working in software. She wanted something hands-on that people could see. And you know what? her neighborhood needed some work and a hardware store was going to be perfect to help people do that. And there were also people that needed work in her neighborhood. She was, her house was near an addiction treatment center. And also her first employee was someone who had been incarcerated and lived in the neighborhood. And obviously people needed help. So in this amazing story called Recovery Hardware, Gina goes through it. She's going to share some of those stories about opening the first door uh, right here in a few minutes. But before Gina comes down from the kitchen, Doug, you've got some trivia for us, I think. Absolutely, Joe.
3: Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's Evaluate Your Life Day, though I know Joe's probably going to find a way to turn this into some proctologist story. But actually, I'm sure by now, Joe thought he'd be the center stage at Barnum & Bailey Circus, hooking up with a hot equestrian trickstress and best friends with a gorilla. But instead, he's cranking the gear on his mom's bunion corrector while she bites down on the remote. Speaking of Barnum & Bailey, their circuses began separately in the late 1800s and joined forces in the early 1900s. So my question is, what year did they give their last performance? I'll be back right after I crawl into this cannon. You're not not—you're not actually going to set it off, though, right, Joe? You just wanted to play out your fantasy?
0: Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things, so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Navy Federal Credit Union is helping their members save when they purchase new homes They have loan options and resources to make sure that you get a great deal. Now, Navy Federal will contribute $1,000 as a lender credit towards closing cost on your new home. Members also save on their monthly payments since there's no requirement for private mortgage insurance. We know what a bare PMI can be. Wow. Navy Federal takes care of that. Plus, Navy Federal offers low rates and fees so you could save even more. Navy Federal Mortgage Experts can help you choose the best option for you, making the home loan process a smooth experience. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. That's NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender, qualifying members with purchase mortgage applications after 9-16-22 may receive up to $1,000 toward actual closing costs applied at closing with no cash back and subject to loan program maximum contribution limits. Terms subject to change. Ask your loan officer for details.
3: Hey there, stackers, I'm flying crappies artist and rehabilitated circus clown truther, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug. I don't even know what that means. According to Britannica, the greatest show on earth was the best-known traveling circus in the United States in the 20th and early 21st centuries. The Ringlings purchased the Barnum & Bailey Circus for $400,000 in 1907, which would have been worth more than $11 million today. From there, at bounced owners, including in 1971, Mattel Incorporated, who bought the circus for $40 million. But into the 2000s, they were starting to get flack about their treatment of animals, and humans had discovered the other greatest show on earth, the internet. So what year did Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey perform their last circus? 2017. And now, to help you better manage both your circus
0: and your monkeys, Gina Schaefer. Entrepreneur Gina Schaefer joins me. How are you?
2: I'm fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I love, by the way, the I'm at work hardware <laughs> store retail vibe. For people that aren't, for people, <laughs> for people not watching us, this is what this is the life of retail though, Gina, right? I mean, you find a spot and you get it done.
2: You hide in a closet, in a corner, in a back room, under a stairwell. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't pay square footage rent for pretty offices.
0: Yeah, it's all got to be out there. Pretty is what the customer sees, I'm sure. But I want to ask you about your journey to hardware because it's so unlikely. It seems so not what I expected the beginning of your book, Recovery Hardware. When did you know you were an entrepreneur? Was it at a young age that you thought, you know what, entrepreneurship is going to be for me?
2: You know, I get in hindsight to look back and, and reflect on these kinds of things, right? So I remember writing a business plan when I was 12. It is not fair for me to say I knew from the time I was 12 that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, that I was an entrepreneur. But I did write a business plan when I was 12. And then I went through all the traditional junior high, high school, college, get a job routes and didn't remember any of that experience until I started to get laid off from tech startups.
0: But at 12 years old, it was a babysitting company?
2: yeah I was gonna babysit and uh my upsell was gonna be five dollar milk cartons. Parents were gonna drop their kids off at my house, and I was gonna babysit and make them milk and cookies and charge a little extra for it. I think five cents to be honest I wasn't gonna make I wasn't gonna make much money, uh, but this was Ohio in the nineteen seventies nineteen eighties
0: Is this in your blood because of your mom being an entrepreneur?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we were scrappy in a really interesting way, okay, so my dad worked on an assembly line and had a second full time job as a bus driver. And my mom had a home-based business. And I think I just saw lots of different interesting ways to make money. And my parents kind of did all of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Your mom, by the way, as a hairdresser, you had a bunch of, uh, you had a bunch of fun hairstyles. Well, your hairstyle, no matter what, looks better than mine. I've got like (laughs) nothing here, Gina.
2: (laughs) I don't know the color I see. I might see a little bit of gray on what's left of yours, huh? Um, (laughs) My mom had a hair salon in our basement. We called it the beauty shop, which is what they were called in Ohio at that time. And The ladies would come every week and it tended to be a gaggle of older women who got their hair done once a week and then they would sleep with toilet paper on their hair. And I think they just didn't move their heads. The concept is hilarious for me. But I was my mom's experiment. And so um, y- it sounds like you've read that section of the book, which was really fun to write and remember. But if she wanted me to have curls one day, I had curls or blonde hair. I had blonde hair and I never cared. I learned to go to school. I mean, fortunately, I was popular. I think I can say that without even being embarrassed because it's going to be really traumatizing for a young girl to show up. Sure, one day absolutely. Be like Princess Leia or, you know, some big ponytails. But I did and I loved it. And I think now looking back, it really gave me the ability to, to adapt, frankly.
0: Well, well, in talking about adapting, the first thing I wonder, because you say this in your book, you said, I didn't want to do what my mom did. Why did you, (laughs) But, but, but it seems like you would have done that, Gina. Why were you not attracted to having your own beauty shop?
2: Well, I mean, it's it's definitely not my skill, not my passion or my skill. I think we would have all ended up bald if I was in charge of, <laughs> of running a hair salon. Uh, I mean, maybe I could have run the hair salon, but not actually been the hairstylist. I guess um, I should be I should be practical about that. I help people buy the products to fix their toilets, but I'm not the ones fixing them. So I was made for bigger things. I always dreamed of moving to a big city. I wanted to go into government or work for a big nonprofit. So staying at home and running a a uh, small beauty shop or even a big beauty shop was not in my cards. Absolutely not.
0: So we get the entrepreneurship now, but you also began experiencing community involvement in college. What did that look like?
2: Yeah. So when I went, to Witten- I went to Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio, it's a wonderful liberal arts school. And I went to get a political science degree because I thought the campus was beautiful. I mean, truly, that's the reason I picked the school. I didn't realize at the time how life changing it was going to be. And the year that I joined was the year that Wittenberg had joined a compact with five other universities across the country to mandate community service for graduation. So in order for us to get our diploma, we actually had to do community service, which required us to do several hours of direct service in the, in the community somewhere, and then time spent in reflection, which I like to joke was therapy for college students who had never done anything good in their lives. I also worked in that office, and so I got to see the broad range of, of projects that people were doing. I got to experience all the emotions that the students were having along with them. And that I think really shaped what I wanted to be as an adult, whether that was to be a nonprofit or then years later incorporate a service and employee health benefit, whatever, into whatever business I was ultimately running.
0: It's phenomenal you tell a story about having to to speak to the football team about this. <laughs> and and I can just imagine Gina up in front of these football players,
2: yeah. So I'm five two, and most football <laughs> players are not five two. Um, I was probably much thinner in college than I am now, but <laughs> they were. It, this was a Division three school. We always had a very good football team, but it wasn't you know Division one or, or anything like that. But they were very good, and they were very large men. And I would stand in that auditorium, and I would look up. You know, a hundred seats in this auditorium filled with all of these guys who were. Most of them looking at me with daggers, like, what is this chick saying? And of course, I'm friends with some of them to this day. And we chuckle about the fact that I would go get them after football practice and I would drag them to an elementary school or a soup kitchen. And several of them I know have still led a life of service that I like to think came came out of my lectures. (laughs) Well, I love this idea,
0: Gina, because frankly, when I started working in business, I thought I should care about my community but I don't. And, and and I don't mean that flippantly. I'm just going, I don't feel it in my heart. There's no burning thing. And you know what had to happen? I had to get out there. And once I went out into my community and started mixing it up with people and seeing actually what's going on, like that created the heart. It wasn't the other way around. You know what I mean? I yeah. was waiting, I was waiting for the sign from above and it was never going to come. And it's somebody like you being in my face saying, Hey, Hey, Mr. (laughs) Athlete, get your butt out there. Like, you probably changed some of these guys' lives.
2: I am shocked even now as an adult, how many people are not asked to either donate to something or to give their time. I have seen so many people's lives change. Even if you just went out for an hour to do something one day, having that direct interaction, being asked to have that direct interaction, changes people's lives so often. Um, It's really kind of magical to watch and sad that it doesn't happen more often.
0: Yeah, I would tell our whole stacker community to just dig in, just take your hands and dig in and you'll be surprised that that passion comes, comes later. But you didn't go into community involvement. You went into tech startups and I talk on the podcast. Well, now over on our Instagram channel, Gina, a lot to these fintech founders and they're amazing people with these great things on your phone, but they're going bankrupt all the time, right? I mean, these wonderful ideas you lived that life.
2: <laughs> I used to say, or I like to say that I, I would start getting laid off the second they handed me my business card. And really, I was not the reason these companies were going out of business. I promise <laughs> yeah. you. Um, no correlation. No, there was nothing. No, I promise. I liked the idea of a startup. I liked the idea of the ground ground floor, watching it build. I mean, that was the entrepreneur in me, right? I might not have been the person starting the business, but I could sense the excitement that came from building everything from scratch. I worked in a nonprofit, which is how I got to Washington, D.C., and then I left and I spent 11 months in Brazil traveling around. And gosh, if that doesn't frame some of how you feel about taking care of community. And then I came back and started working for these startups, and, and they would go out of business, and I would find myself unemployed again. So there I was, uh, 2001, I think was the third and then final time, hopefully it'll be the final time, I was ever laid off.
0: Well, and that story is, is harrowing to me. The legal counsel is telling you that you're being let go yeah. and he tells you that your final task. And by the (laughs) way, I would have said, I would have said that I wasn't going to do this, Gina. I don't know how you did it. Your final task was to call the investors and tell them their money's bye-bye that their money's money's all gone. Like, I can't believe I would have told them right then. I'm like, nope, the founder's got to do that
2: take a hike right yeah i had built a relationship with these investors and so interestingly enough it was a biometric company that did physical um like fingerprints for for physical access for door locks which is okay. you know we do it on our phones all day now but yeah. at the time and this was i guess the mid 90s it was this, it was still a pretty novel concept interestingly enough all of our investors were from new zealand I was told this. I don't know if this is true, but the folks in Australia and New Zealand really embraced this kind of technology earlier than the rest of the world. Again, I don't know if that's true, but that's what the founder told me. And so I had to call a bunch of really, really nice New Zealanders and tell them their money was gone. And maybe that's why I did it because I knew they were so nice and I had built a rapport with them over the, you know, fairly short time the company was in business. And so I did it. I do what I'm told. <laughs> I can just
0: imagine that drive back home then, from a failed tech startup, and this—well, what had been a hellacious last day of telling these people their money's gone—and you decide, like, I'm thinking of all these reasons somebody might change their life, and you decide that you're sick of commuting. <laughs> like, number one on Gina's list is that I don't want to commute. But what I like about this though, Gina, is you're kind of framing things around what really fits me, right? But commuting was, was not going to be the first thing.
2: No, I did not want to commute anymore. I knew in my heart that I was destined to live an urban lifestyle. And to me, that meant walking everywhere I had to go, including my job, or maybe taking the metro, the train, the bus to my job, but not this long, horrible commute that I had to the D.C. suburbs.
0: So tell me this area where you, where you live, Logan, Logan Square, it's called? Logan Circle. Logan Circle. See, I go Logan Square. It's a circle. Logan Shape. We'll go with Logan Shape.
2: Logan Shape. (laughs) DC is made up of a bunch of circles that were created by the Frenchmen who designed our city way back when. Logan Circle is, you know, DC, like most big cities, is broken down into smaller communities. And each small community sort of acts like a small town. We all have or want the same types of services. and, And we have our own local representation that then rolls up to the DC government Logan Circle was one of the neighborhoods in the country that had been destroyed by the riots when Martin Luther King was assassinated. So, obviously, that was the late 60s, very end of the 60s. And the neighborhood, I mean, it really went to hell. People left, businesses closed up. It was a nice middle class black and white community, and everybody moved away. The people that stayed were the people who you would imagine would live in a neighborhood that had been destroyed. It was the drug dealers and the prostitutes and all sorts of nefarious characters that, you know, had the advantage of living in this beautiful neighborhood for decades while it decayed. And so houses were boarded up. There were no, almost no businesses. There were very few public services. And then late 80s, early 90s, people started realizing that adjacent to some very expensive neighborhoods in Washington was this neighborhood that had a ton of potential. And so they started moving into Logan Circle because they could afford to live there, frankly. And buy houses with boards on the windows.
0: And so you're moving in during this resurgence.
2: Yeah, I was one of those young women. I, I love the real estate agent who told me that I had to buy in Logan Circle. She sat me down one day and she said, it's the only place you can afford. And uh, one of the chapters in my book is called There Are No Tears in Hardware. But I am sure that I cried that day <laughs> because nobody wanted to move. To, I mean, very few people really wanted to move to Logan Circle. But she was so smart. You know, She could feel that something was going to change there. She knew what my budget was, and so she knew I could only afford to live there in a very similar neighborhood. And so I bought a place, and then another place, and then my husband moved in to a condo around the corner, and we got married and bought another place together, and everything unfolded from that real estate agent.
0: But and I love that you really uh, love this neighborhood. It had been the Black Broadway uh, you talk about. Like This had been, at one point, just a famous neighborhood.
2: Amazing people that came from that neighborhood, yes.
0: And so CVS moves in, which is a good sign, a good grocery store moves in and then there's this, this resurgence happening at the same time that you're being laid off. You come home and you tell your husband, and by the way, I'm like, what? You tell your husband, I want to open up a hardware store. And I thought, okay, is this just a direct reaction to the fact that she's worked in software, she's worked in tech, and it's the most (laughs) non-tech job I could possibly have? Like, is this like the rebound boyfriend job, Gina? That's what I'm thinking as I'm reading that you're going into hardware.
2: (laughs) It's very practical, right? I used to say that if I wrote a book, I was going to call it from software to hardware. I went from the very you know, ethereal, you can't figure out what you're talking about, to a hammer, something very tangible that builds things. And I was in a neighborhood that needed things built. And that's that's what it boiled down to. We, My husband and I got involved in the community association. It was very active. Every new person who moved to this neighborhood joined. And we all wanted to walk and dine and shop and recreate right outside of our front doors. And Mark and I used to joke that we lived in the dark, our toilet was always running, and our pictures were on the ground because the closest hardware store was... It was like a mile if we walked and there was, there were no cabs that came into neighborhoods like ours. And so we couldn't get a cab back and forth and there wasn't any parking at that place a mile away. And we thought we needed a hardware store.
0: And I love this because it's, it's your commitment to your community. So it goes back to your community stuff. It's hands-on stuff. It's celebrating this resurgence that's happening. You decide to go with Ace Hardware. Mm-hmm. and Ace Hardware sends a guy out. Tell me about the guy that Ace Hardware sends out.
2: Yeah, so um, you probably know this, but just in case any of your listeners don't, Ace is a cooperative, a national purchasing cooperative. So there are no franchises for hardware stores, and hardware store owners either join a cooperative or they buy from a wholesaler. And so we reached out to a couple of the national cooperatives, and, and uh, Ace responded first. They sent a guy to come sort of vet me and the neighborhood. My husband at the time was not going to join the business, and so all of the initial um, interactions were with me. And I, I was telling the story to our bank yesterday. I said he loved me. He loved the the burned-out neighborhood. He loved the boards on the the windows. He loved everything about it.
0: It sounds like he totally got it, like he totally got it.
2: Yeah. Well, I wanted to believe that, right? So I am a very optimistic and enthusiastic person. But really at that time in my life, I was probably absurdly naive. And I really did think that this guy loved what I was doing and could see the vision. And frankly, maybe he could. But he told me to sign my lease and then fax the application to join the co-op back to Ace because there is a there is an approval process. And so um, there was a developer in the neighborhood named Jim Abdo. And Jim was very involved in the community as well. And he wanted he wanted to be the developer that brought a hardware store to the neighborhood. So when we matched up, magic happened. He said, I'm giving you the space that everybody wants. And here's the lease. And I don't care that you don't have any business ownership experience. And so I signed, I think it was a $1.8 million lease. And then I faxed my application back to ACE and they freaked out. (laughs) They fired the guy because he had lied. I mean, there's no way he was supposed to tell me to sign that lease before they approved me. I mean, really, Joe, I could speculate that he didn't plan. He knew that they were going to say no to me, but I don't want to go down that route. Like that route's too, it's too sad for me to think about the last 20 years not happening. And so he was fired. I got a hardware store. Now I have more and the rest is history.
0: <laughs> and there's a couple things here. Number one was I thought, cause I I'm also an optimist, Gina. I thought that this guy, this guy believed in you, but he thought that the people at ACE might not. So here's the way we work it around the system to make sure that this thing that I love, maybe he loved it like you did.
2: Maybe. I don't know. I've never seen him again. So I have no idea. I can't ask him what he really thought. I can't ask if, you know, if he thought maybe he was going to get a big commission. If he signed me, I have no idea. Maybe he really believed in me and knew they didn't. And he wanted to make sure that this could work.
0: It was actually more surprising to me that you didn't immediately look elsewhere away from Ace because it sounds like Ace didn't believe in your mission.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, I at that point it was just sort of head down forward motion. How am I going to get this business open by any means possible? And I have so much respect for Ace and we have such an amazing partnership. I served on the national board. I have hundreds of Ace retailer friends. And the the story has such a wonderful ending that I can only look back on that time and chuckle. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. And it did all work out. Can I like the fact that there's this guy, Jim, who's the developer that you just mentioned, giving a lease to somebody with no experience when there's many other people out there, Gina, why why you versus all of these other people? Two reasons.
2: One, he really wanted to be the guy to bring a hardware store to the neighborhood, but he wasn't going to open it. And two, we were both from Ohio. I swear that must be it. I sat down in his office. I was so intimidated. He sat me down at a table that had this stack of business plans. Everybody wanted this spot where I opened, which was a really sort of hilarious place to put a hardware store, but right next door was the CVS and right next door was the grocery store. So from a neighborhood perspective, it was very logical to have the next business that opened in this corner building. And we started talking about our past and what led us to Logan Circle. And I think Jim's probably 10 years older than me, give or take. And somehow it came up that we had both grown up in towns in Ohio, actually not that far from each other. And I think it clicked and he gave me the lease.
0: What I like that you explain in the book is that you were already at no, you were pretty intimidated, but you're already at no. So I can just imagine the courage it took to go in there, but also to tell yourself that, Hey, unless you make a friend and then how serendipitous that you actually make a friend, but you had to reach out to do that, which I think is important to everybody. We're all afraid to reach out. And the fact that you did created this, this company.
2: I had somebody years ago say that I was a shameless self-promoter. I was talking about my business or I had gotten an article in the newspaper or something. And I said to that guy, if I don't talk about my business or what I want, how is the business going to succeed Or how and how are people going to know what I need or want? Um, and so both of those things sort of tie in with me. I want th- my teammates who I absolutely love and wake up and work hard for every day. I want them to have all the successes in the world with this business when I'm gone I feel like if I don't keep talking about it to them and to our customers, no one's going to know. No one's going to know how great they are. No one's going to know how wonderful the business, the stores are. And so I think we need to ask. We need to be willing to talk about what we need, what we want, and about how good we are at some things. I actually had a landlord tell me that once. He said I needed to write a resume that said I paid the bills on time. (laughs) It was great. It was great advice.
0: I wanted to ask you about that. What did you and your husband do, both of you, you're signing $1.8 million, right? This isn't a small thing, Gina. Like what are you, I could just imagine your hand must've been shaking while you're signing on the dotted line.
2: No, I was too naive. Uh, Mark is very, um, he's more fiscally conservative than I am, but he's also very, very smart when it comes to money. So he joined me about three months in, he decided initially, you know, this was not his dream. But he had a, well, a good paying job, and so he wanted to make sure that if something happened at the store, he could help me pay the rent. So that's what he did. And then about three months in, he said, okay, you're cash flowing quickly enough. I think you're going to be okay with rent, and you're having a lot of fun. Oh, and by the way, I'm working two jobs because I'm working my own, and then I'm trying to help you in the free time, my free time, and I never signed up to have two jobs, he said. And so he quit. And we've been business partners ever since, which has been great because he is the one who makes sure that we could pay that, make sure that we can pay all the rent that we pay.
0: But that's still a big signature. I just still can't imagine that day. So we start off with, you have this neighborhood that you love. You then take part in the redevelopment of the neighborhood, but this is ultimately not about buildings and about streets and about history. Your story and what attracted me to your story, Gina, is this is a story about people and about, well, not just people, because I'm going to name three names that I'd like you to tell us a short story so that people kind of learn about all the different characters uh, that you deal with. Tell me first, tell us all about Tommy.
2: Oh, Tommy's the best. You know, I said that the neighborhood had had a lot of challenges for several decades. And so there weren't a lot of people who lived there who could apply for jobs. Tommy came in early in the business. I think he was really probably employee number one or two, um, had been in prison for 17 years. I didn't know that because we, when we created our employment application, we banned the box. We decided that we were not going to ask if someone was a felon, which was still legal to do at the time. On purpose, on purpose, you decided we're not going to have the box. On purpose. And I don't know really why we thought that initially, but we did. And so Tommy got a job with us. He worked with us for 11 years. He was just an absolutely wonderful first hire and He had been in prison for 17 years. We gave our dog to him, which was very sad because we had to give our dog away. He took care of our dog. He had a key to our house. He met me at the store every morning to open up with me to make sure that everything was safe and that he was there. Everybody loved him. Nobody knew his past. And he sort of set the standard for expecting that anybody with any kind of past can be an amazing teammate.
0: Which is carried through to the way that you work with people today. Yes, By the way, that story includes another character I'd like you to tell everybody about, which is Jay.
2: (laughs) So Jay's the dog. Um, Mark likes to say that I've made one bad decision in my life, God love him, and that decision was Jay. I decided that every good hardware store should have a store dog, and then I fell in love with Great Danes. And so I adopted a Great Dane right before Logan Hardware opened, and Jay came to live with us. He weighed 175 pounds. He was afraid of his own shadow. I mean, I think I weighed 130 pounds at the time. So the dog's like so much bigger than me. He was afraid of his own shadow. He had separation anxiety and he scared the hell out of the customers. He was so nice, but people don't understand what to do with a dog that big. And if I heard one time, how's the horse? I heard it a million times. It was so irritating, (laughs) so irritating so uh, that's why I, I made the comment that we gave Tommy our dog because Tommy, I think as a result of being in prison for so long, had a lot of wanderlust. He didn't want to be cooped up. He wanted to be, he would walk all day long. He would ride his bike all day long. He had friends all over town that he would go visit. And so when we realized that we couldn't have Jay at the store because he scared the customers, I gave Tommy a key to the house and he would just come get Jay and he would take him for hours and hours of walks and then bring him back. And then eventually we just let. Jay, go live with Tommy. And
0: do you have store dogs today?
2: We, no, we've ne- we never got a store dog again. Never did again. <laughs> <laughs> never. My, no, I have a dog, uh, but we have a couple of our stores have store cats, but we've never gotten a dog again. You know, I now when I think about it, it's a good country store with a nice old lazy Labrador, you know, laying in the doorway. You can visualize that. I think not a hundred and seventy five pound Great Dane.
0: And then the last name is Shane.
2: Yeah. I want everybody to read my book so that they can read about Shane. Shane came to work with us. He was, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks clean from um, a crystal meth addiction. And he was attending rehab at a clinic down the street from Logan Hardware. And he came and worked with us for 11 months. I gave him a job. I didn't care that he was, you know, in rehab. At first, I didn't give him a job, which is part of the story and how fun our relationship was, the, the fun history. But I gave him the job. He worked with us for 11 months. He got really, really mad one day, and he stomped out. He said he never wanted to see us again. He hated us. We were terrible. I can't even say it without laughing because we're such good friends now. I know so much more now about addiction and how people handle it and, and recovery that a year was not a long time for Shane to be clean. He was very fragile in his recovery. I, I'm not sure. In, in a lot of ways, that fragility never ends, but it was very new. What I didn't know at the time is that even though he left and said he was never going to come back again, he went back to his rehab meetings and he started telling everybody there that they should come work at my store. <laughs> and so, he kept saying, "Go see the lady at the hardware store, go see." The... And of course, I think it sounds funny. I was 30, I guess I was 31. I mean, you can call a 31-year-old a lady, but you know, when he tells it, it's just go, I don't know. It's very comical to me. <laughs> and so, Shane started sending people who would apply for jobs, and I kept hiring them. And then that person would bring somebody, and that person would bring somebody. And the common thread could be drawn back to Shane. And about three years later, this is how we talk about it now. He was early in recovery, and I was early in entrepreneurship. And it is not fair to compare the two because I, so I'm not doing that. Uh, in a a broader sense. But I could not keep two thoughts in my head. I was so busy trying to figure out how to fix people's toilets and make paint and keys and pay payroll and all of the things that you have to do when you're running a a really robust retail business. And so I didn't think about the fact that I probably should have called him and said, hey, why did you leave? Or hey, did we do something wrong? So I didn't see him for three more years. He came back three years later. He was doing the 12-step program and he got to the step that Requires that you make amends, and he came to apologize and I remember being mortified like you're sorry, you know I was the boss I didn't call you to say, Hey, can I do something to make your life better and that was a turning point for Shane and i we 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 never ever lost touch after that, and he hosted the a big launch party for my book, and <laughs> we've done sort of road shows together on a couple of podcasts. He runs his own restaurant now, and the story is just amazing.
0: I love the stories throughout the book. The idea of the fact that a store, you know, I was listening to a, uh, one of my favorite man, management gurus, a guy named Tom Peters and Tom Peters this morning, literally I was hearing him say that a business is not part of a community for many people. A business is the community. And it's funny that I'm talking to you the same day that I hear that, how you've made sure that, uh, that your businesses are part of the community. The book is called recovery hardware, a nuts and bolts story about building a business, restoring a community, and renovating lives. And just what a what a story it is. Gina, where do we get the book?
2: Recoveryhardware.com. I want everyone to support their local bookstore. So truly, you can buy it from your local bookstore, order it. They probably won't have it. Or from bookshop.org or recoveryhardware.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for helping stackers become a better part of their community, Gina. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it, too. Have a great afternoon.
0: Hey, I'm Mr. Wow.
2: And I'm Mrs. Wow from Waffles on Wednesday.
3: And when we're not eating
0: waffles, we're stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Gina Schaefer for telling a little piece of her story. Oh, gee, this idea that you are an entrepreneur, I feel like a lot of people think, and I certainly thought this, people who are entrepreneurs are just a different beast. It's just a whole different, like, you know what? You got this gene, this entrepreneur gene. But Gina said, you know what? I can be an entrepreneur and turned it into very successful hardware stores. And also the fact that this thing that you create has anything to do with your background. What's funny is, is it like she said, owning hardware stores, not something people would have expected from Gina, but she's successful, not because of the hardware aspect, but because of the customer service aspect, right? The community, the customer yeah. service. It's not about what you're selling. It's about understanding that you are selling.
3: I'm not sure OG's ever been in a hardware store, but I certainly have some thoughts on this. I didn't recognize the importance or the potential for what a hardware store can do for a community until I moved to a small town. And I will say now, going to my hardware store here, it's one of my favorite places to go in town. It feels like Cheers, like an episode of you know the old show Cheers, where everybody knows your name. You've always got something to talk about because everybody's got house projects going on. And the owner of my particular hardware store has really cultivated a great culture with all of his staff there to get to know everybody and to be incredibly friendly. And people talk about it in my town, about how great that store is. And it is a sort of a magnet for the community to bring people together. So for her to do that and recognize that that was going to be a value add for her community where she lived is, I think, is really prescient of her.
0: And Doug, you also have dogs, but I love that misstep of deciding a hundred and fifty pound Great Dane as the store dog, you
3: know, oh, right. just to add to the community. Oops. My- wow, she might have she might have overreached there of that particular <laughs> breed. Put a golden or a lab in there, every you know, even people who don't like dogs are gonna feel comfortable. But put a farm animal in your store, they might be a little intimidated.
0: But oh gee, back to this idea of entrepreneurship. If somebody hears this and they get excited. I think there's still some groundwork to do before you go open up your hardware store. What are some of the things people should maybe dive into to set that foundation?
1: I think from a financial standpoint, you want to think about how are you going to pay yourself, you know, while the ramp up happens between when you start and when you start making money, because there's a quite often a pretty large gap between the day that you open up your shop and the day that you actually start start getting a few bucks for having your shop open. And then you want to think about like how quickly can I get away from doing all of this stuff that I'm not good at. You know, Entrepreneurs by nature are people who just you know are like helter-skelter, right? They're just kind of all over the place, but they're not really good at all of those things. And the greatest growth quite often happens in a business when you start hiring people that can do the thing that you're not very good at way better than you. And it seems like an expense, but people are an investment generally. So get to the point very quickly where you can have somebody do the, the you know the accounting. You can have somebody do the sales. You can have somebody do the marketing. You have somebody do, you know whatever the things are that you're not great at. Go find really good people and hire that away as quickly as you can. You'll grow, grow a lot faster.
0: Barbara Corcoran said that last week when I asked her about what you need to pay attention to. It's your people, O.G. And I love that yep. you echoed that. It's your people. Surround yourself with good people. Hey, let's uh, throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, OG. Ooh, um,
1: being an entrepreneur.
0: Yes. Your loved ones and your time. That was a real answer. And entrepreneurship. I know. What's up with that? Sorry. it's that's not how this goes. <laughs> They're always real. Have you listened to the show before. <laughs> There's days I hope it goes that way. And the fact that we're, we're like, wow. Really? We're actually going to do this for real? I don't know if I should be concerned, but it is. It's your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to StackyBenjamins.com slash Haven Life now to get your free quote. I love what they're doing at Haven Life because they're committed to offering a modern way for you to buy life insurance. It's a simple application. It's all online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. We talked about improvements in fire safety earlier with Steve Kerber. Tons of improvements And the way you buy life insurance, the big thing is it makes it quick so that you can get on to other more important things, stack slash Haven life. And today we're going to throw out the lifeline to Jason. Say hi, Jason.
1: Hey guys, we have a toddler and we plan to pay for his college one day, but I don't see the big advantage to saving in a 529 account. We'll be around 50 by the time he goes to college and plan to be retired by that time. I'll either be able to pay for his school out of a 457B or by withdrawing Roth contributions from IRAs. It seems like a 529 would operate like a Roth in that money could be taken out tax-free, but only for school. However, if our son doesn't go to college, I'd rather not take a 10% penalty on the gains. Also, we live in an income tax-free state, so there's no tax incentive for contributing to a 529. As long as we're mentally keeping college money separate from retirement money, is there anything wrong with doing things this way?
0: Jason, great question. Thank you for that, Jason. OG, 529 versus a Roth IRA, really, I think at the heart of this.
1: Well, the only thing that's missing there is you're not going to benefit from the compounding aspect of it because you can't take the gains of your Roth contribution out at 50. You can only take the contributions. So, it's effectively he's going to have to save all of the money for college as contributions, which he may be able to do, and then save the gains for distribution and retirement. Does that make sense? Like he's like, Well, I've got, you know, I'm going to take my $6,000 a year for the next 20 years, and that's my 120K. That's college.
0: Well, part of it, what if he goes to the other plan that he mentioned, like a 401K? Where he's already retired, so he can now freely get at that money?
1: Well, you can get to it, but it's taxable. So you go to take money out of your 401k or IRA, and there's ways to get your retirement funds pre 59 and a half without paying a penalty, but you still have to pay taxes. And so now you're going to have increased taxable income, which will affect, you know, could affect all sorts of things. It can affect your FAFSA, it affects your uh, health insurance premiums. It can do all sorts of fun stuff, especially if your kid goes to a college that is uber expensive, you know, and you're, when you take out $80,000, now you have $80,000 of taxable income that you've got to put on paper on top of, you know, whatever you live on, you know, for your, for your normal stuff. I think the risk of having extra funds in a 529 is mitigated by not putting all of your college savings there. So, you know. Save sixty or seventy percent of your college uh, potential expenditures into a five twenty nine, and then use the Roth contributions or excess cash flow or second job or whatever the case may be for you know for the scholarships. That's the other thing. I mean, that's probably the argument that we hear most, which is, why should I put all this money in five twenty nine? I think my kid might get some scholarship money, and I see that you know University of whatever costs fifty grand a year, but nobody really pays that; they pay twenty seven you know, and there's some grant in there. Why should I save all 50? Don't save 60% of it, save 70% of it, and you'll probably be in the ballpark. And then if you're way off and the kid actually doesn't go to school or gets a full ride scholarship or something, so be it. Either A, you pay the pay the penalty to get the money out, which by the way, a 10% penalty on 529 plan gains is going to be a heck of a lot cheaper than, than a uh, taxable distribution from your 457, or you just let it sit there. There's no statute of limitations on the distribution plan, right? You you don't have to say, "I'm going to take this money out." If my you know, at 18, my kid has to decide: is he going to college or not? What if your kid decides to go to college at 32? You could have the money available then. Or your kid decides to be a plumber, and then his kid goes to school. You know, the money can you're be saying available with a five twenty nine twenty years from there.
3: You you're saying with a five twenty nine, you have that flexibility.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, there's no rule that says at this age you must deplete it. So it's pretty attractive. And even if you got to pay 10% on the gains, so what? Cheaper than anything else.
0: What about the exceptions with a Roth IRA though, to take money for qualified expenses for higher education? Because I think what Jason's also alluding to is the fact that as long as it's for qualified higher education expense, he can get at some of the earnings of a Roth IRA and avoid that 10% penalty. The problem with
1: a Roth distribution on earnings is that you also have to pay taxes on the earnings, which most people think Roth, you don't pay taxes and you don't, as long as you use it for retirement. If you use it for something other than retirement, you got to pay taxes on the earnings, except if you use it for college, you don't pay a 10% penalty. So again, we're back to that taxable distribution thing. You know, Ultimately, you have access to both of these tools. Why do you want to use the square peg round hole thing? You know, like... Like if your retirement is good to go and you're like, oh, no, I've got plenty of money in my 401k and my brokerage account or whatever, then use a 529. Just skip the Roth altogether. If you are aiming for an early retirement, that probably means that you're saving a boatload of cash into a whole bunch of different places. So use the tools that that are designed for the outcome that you're looking for, because there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong with this. So use a 529. Be like the normal person. Don't be crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't be crazy, Jason. Jason, what are you talking about?
3: Whoa, 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 Jason. He thinks he found a wormhole in financial planning.
0: I just love the financial nerd indignation. We can do what? What? Like 99% of America is like, I don't even know what these terms mean. But all the financial nerds, you can't do that. Stop. Uh, you know what Jason what what I don't like about your strategy is the fact that I want all that Roth IRA money available for retirement as much as I possibly can because OG you and I have talked about the tax triangle before about having money that is has different tax benefits and the fact that you have a piece of that triangle that frankly can't be for a lot of people all that large when compared to the pre-tax bucket, unless you have a Roth 457 available uh, through work, you can't put nearly the amount away for a Roth that you can into your workplace retirement plan, which for most of us is pre-tax. And so you need every dollar that tax-free you can get if you want to do tax planning in retirement. Don't like that either.
3: I love the fact that Jason put some, has put some real thought into his financial strategy for how he's going to handle college and his retirement Agreed. Uh, that, that part's awesome. I mean, there's there's not enough people doing that, you know, really thinking long term and how can I play this poker hand that I've got and all these opportunities that the government's affording me and, and otherwise my employer
0: and so forth. Awesome. Absolutely so love don't,
3: that. So don't take our thoughts the wrong way, Jason.
0: Yeah, I think absolutely thinking through all these avenues, like what can I do? Oh, gee, like, can I do it this way? Can I do it this way? Can I do it this way? It's kind of that the more, y- the more you know, right? I mean, Jason's plan gets better because he knows that this is not the best strategy. His overall plan of how he's going to use his Roth IRA and what the Roth IRA is really for and why he might want that 529 plan becomes even much more crystal clear. Thanks, Jason, for that call. If you've got a call like Jason, you know what? Jason's getting a piece of swag. Stacky Benjamin's Haven Lifeline, greatest money show on earth swag. Do you hear somebody sigh? Oh, gee, I think I heard it. Did you hear a sigh? I don't know if I heard a sound. Yeah, the
3: only reason that I just gave him props for thinking long-term
0: about his fu- is because I'm hoping he's sending me the shirt. <laughs> and Jason, I would keep the shirt. I would wear it proudly. Tell your whole neighborhood that you were on the Stacking Benjamin show. Congratulations, my friend. Can we do this coming up soon here? Because, you know, my presidential
3: campaign is going to get kicked off pretty soon for 2024. So can we have Haven Life sponsor that shirt? And can we give away Doug 2024 shirts?
0: I will chat with uh, the uh, powers that be. Oh, well, then it's never going to happen. A.K.A. Matt at Haven Life. You,
3: you got to ask for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> you
0: just do it. <laughs> Matt's like, why are we? So, why are we? Yeah. Uh, Mass Mutual comes down to Haven Life. Says, hey, uh, looks like we're sponsoring a political campaign. What is it? We're an insurance company. Oh, yeah. No, no, um, no you don't understand. You got to know Doug. You got to know this whoa. guy. He's got a shot. This is this, I don't think they'll lead with that I think they'll lead with a lot of different things, but not that, yeah, hey, uh, that's gonna do it for today. If you want some more surround sound, man, we got a lot of different resources. We mentioned our two o one already, which is our newsletter where we take the 101 from today's show and we do deeper dives. Uh, Brooke Miller has curated a lot of different great sources on the topics we talked about today and that we talk every week. com slash 201 is the way to get signed up for that. Of course, it's always free. And we also mentioned that uh, our the Steve Kerber video from today in its entirety over on our YouTube page, which increasingly – has more stuff on it we just released our first fintech walkthrough video for an app called reason i walked through that i've also just finished one for cube money that might be up might not be up by the time we do this so we're going to start walking through some of the fun stuff that's on your phone you can find those walkthroughs to see which of these fintech tools is best for you over on our youtube page so go to youtube dot but if you're not here for any of that you're concerned about the market and the chatter about recession og and his team put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market. This guide will help you plan more, panic less, no matter what the market does. So head on over to com slash guide. That's com slash guide, and you'll get this helpful free guide from OG. So thanks for that, OG, because uh, last week I felt was kind of a roller coaster ride for the market. I know for roller coasters it, are fun. Felt kind of like the... It felt kind of like the running of the bears, <laughs> you know, Pamplona has the running of the bulls. Yes. I feel like last week we had the running of the bears. Um, not, not nearly as, as much fun. Stacky slash guide, and you'll just sit back and enjoy it. All right. Maybe is enjoy it a strong term. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. All right, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from our guest,
3: Gina Schaefer. Your dream should include both helping your community and making it for yourself. Second, is it time to practice your fire safety plan with a family? As difficult as it may be to stop listening to my voice, you should pause right now and put that event on your calendar. Got the big lesson? No circus lasts forever, especially not one where wild beasts roam so freely, which is why I had to set the baby gate back up for Joe's mom again. Back,
1: beast! Back!
3: Thanks to Gina Schaefer for joining us today. You can find her book, Recovery Hardware, A Nuts and Bolts Story About Building a Business, Restoring a Community, and Renovating Lives, wherever finer books are sold. We'll also include links in our show notes at StackingBenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, Copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later?
0: Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist, Gina. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. Okay. Th- those are the rules, sister. Great. Right. Okay. I'm the, silent. The uh, Well, you've got a part of your book that I thought normally we don't ask our guests to hang out and then, and then be part of the after show, but you've got some bloopers you've learned in, in your time owning hardware stores. And if you don't mind, I'd like you to pontificate on a few of these. Number one. Move your thumb when you swing the hammer. How many times have you seen this? People come in with a black and blue thumb.
2: All the time. Happens all the time. Or the thumb missing. I mean, we've had the thumbs missing. No. Oh, yeah. It's real.
0: Oh, that one is <laughs> that one's so bad. I feel like, by the way, our local Ace Hardware is Dots. And I've moved a couple times in town. And I'm in Dots. And I love the people there. But I feel like whenever I move... Like, I feel like I need a frequent flyer card sometimes. Like, they're like, Joe, back for the fifth time today. Like, you you, <laughs> must, you must see that too, where people are like, yeah, had I remembered the first four times, Gina. Number two.
2: As long as you're still
0: smiling. <laughs> yeah, I would say that by time number five, I'm forcing a smile for yeah. my friendly ace employee, not for, yeah. yeah. Uh, number two, this one's pretty critical. Don't drink beer until yeah. after you've painted the walls. Tell me this is a true story.
2: It's probably not appropriate to even have that blooper in a book about recovery, right? But I remember lots of times, in fact, I was profiled on the Washington Post about how to have a painting party. Young people can't afford to hire painters, so you invite your friends over. And I had a friend who painted my window blinds because we were drinking beer while we were painting and... I mean, I could call him all sorts of names, but it's my fault for serving him. And he was talking and rolling and then rolled right up my brand new white window blind with a dark blue paint. Yeah. Don't do Uh, it.
0: It's so great. Uh, We would do that. I remember painting parties when I was younger. I mean, don't get me wrong. These are now the best checks I could ever write because I don't want to do these anymore. That one and moving parties. Remember, hey, just some pizza, pizza and beer. And yeah. And now- I remember I got to a certain age. Maybe it was in my 40s sometime and I'm like, nope, can't. I'm busy that day studying for my blood test. Yeah, please. Number three. Oh God. Turn off the water supply before pulling a faucet out of the wall.
2: Oh, this is when people come in and they're mad at us. I mean, so mad. It's almost always a plumbing issue because they don't turn off the water supply. And they're mad at you. Yeah. Well, we take the brunt of it, even though we have nothing to do with it in that case. But yeah, they, you know, they've just flooded their kitchen. And so not only do they need plumbing parts, but they also need buckets and rags and mops. And it's bad. I
0: understand, Gina, that people forget stuff or they don't know stuff. Blaming you is the part that drives me crazy. Like not knowing to turn off the water. Okay. Everybody, you know, learns all this home improvement stuff at one point or another. I have a friend that on his desk, he has a phrase. It says, can't fix stupid. And, uh, and don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think, I don't think not turning your water off is stupid. I think that's fine. I think blaming you as the person, I don't know. Uh, oh my God,
2: I wonder if we would still have customers if we hung that sign at our hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> no, Always buy more
0: than one mouse trap is the next one.
2: Yeah. So if you read the story of Lawson in my, in my book, he is notorious for telling customers there's always more than one. If you see one and he's had more than one customer cry when he's told them that.
0: I had a friend tell me that after I caught the mouse. They're like, yeah, it's a family. I'm like, oh God, no, please. No, please. No.
2: Yeah.
0: My dad told me this next one, 50,000 times measure twice. Cut once. Yes. Somebody come back in for another, uh, two by four
2: my uh my manager I have a manager that likes to say it's not what we need to learn, it's what we need to remember, and good Lord, we need to remember that that I one.
0: could use a tattoo with that one yeah. and, 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 that actually applies by the way for hanging stuff right for on the wall like how many times have I been told that to clearly mark it? And I'm like, nope, I can take my finger and then my finger moves, and I think I know where it is, and then I just hit a nail, and now I've got five different nail markings.
2: Which you try and hide with the same piece of art so that you can't see it. Oh, yeah. Classic. Classic air.
0: And then next, and and I don't know where this one comes from, but this is awesome. There's no such thing as a male-to-male electrical plug.
2: (laughs) People do that all the time at Christmas. They'll come in and they'll get to the end of their – they need to attach two, two strands. And for whatever reason, the way they need to attach them have both male ends. And we're like, no, that doesn't exist. And you might electrocute yourself every year. It's such an old hardware joke. I can't
0: get like an adapter that has no. female ends on it. No.
2: <laughs> you cannot. <laughs> one
0: star for that, Gina. That's one star. I'm blaming you for that. You need No, I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> can't think stupid.